Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about vote fraud changes everything. Russ Ramsland, vote fraud expert, joins me in studio. And third, Michelle Obama for president. And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. Today we're going to have an in-depth interview in the next segment with Russ Ramsland talking about the idea of election fraud. I want to differentiate that from vote fraud. Very quick stories just as a tease about what the idea of just vote fraud involves in our country. It's one question, who ends up on the voter rolls? Who's allowed to vote? That question, we have all sorts of debates in this country about whether ex-felons should get to vote, how frequently should clean the voter rolls, whether attempts to have voter ID tends to, is fair and reasonable, or on the other hand, does requiring voter ID somehow suppress voters? These are really important issues, and they all get up to the question of who is on the voter rolls before you get to the start of an election. Just a few recent rulings on that kind of subject. Uh, there was actually an amazing decision by a judge in North Carolina striking down a voter ID provision. This is in February of this year. A voter-approved voter ID law in that state struck down by a judge basically saying that the people who were in the legislature that got that started uh, themselves shouldn't have been elected due to their uh, redistricting maps two years ago. We had the North Carolina governor recently in November this month, North Carolina governor vetoed a, a bill. The caption in this article says controversial. I don't see it as controversial. A bill that would remove names from the voter rolls of people who have been determined by the courts in that state is not eligible to sit on a jury because they aren't citizens. But hey, can't take them off the voter rolls. Yet a Kansas judge, a federal judge in Kansas, strike down a voter ID law that basically said you had to be, if you're registered to vote, you have to prove U.S. citizenship, which seems like it's very reasonable, but that was also struck down. These all have to do with getting people on the voter rolls. Next point about this is we try to investigate voter fraud. President Trump, you may remember when he came into office, started 2017, one of the things he did was create a voter fraud commission. Basically, let's look into and figure out, do we really have a vote fraud problem or not in this country? It was disbanded in January of 2018, I think it was, maybe January of this year, but disbanded because the members of the commission reported that various states in this country would not comply with requests for information from the commission, wouldn't tell them who's on their voter rolls, wouldn't give them authority to essentially compare, you know, is a, the same person on the vote roll in three states, or is the same person, uh, you know, who is now residing in a cemetery registered to vote in three states. These kinds of clearing up the voter roll things, the uh, states would not cooperate with the commission that uh, President Trump set up. We also had a huge problem in California. It's often referred to as harvesting votes, but they had in California legislation in 2015 where they passed a series of bills, all allegedly intended to make it easier and easier for people to vote, to get on the voter rolls, and to actually 
succeed in voting. And so they had things like, they call it vote harvesting, where you could have people knocking on doors and saying, hey, I'm here to collect your vote, despite reports of people saying they were coerced by the people at the door, hassling them, come on, you gotta vote, here's how you vote, give me your ballot. They had early, they had the uh, ballots mailed to every voter in the state, a whole bunch of provisions in California, which many people attributed to the loss um, of numerous Republican seats in Congress because of the way California justice law making it easier and easier. Supporters would say easier to vote. Critics would say easier to cheat. We'll have to find that out. Uh, last point I want to hit on this before we turn to our interview today and um, is was that there was a bill, and I found this in Washington this is, uh, today. It's a great segue to our next segment. So in Washington, even though we have a Democrat majority in the U.S. House, now usually the ones opposed to voter ID and opposed to cleaning voter rolls, a House-backed bill in June of this year, the Democrats passed a bill essentially requiring voter-certified paper ballots in every state. Now, I gotta tell you, I'm sure the bill was loaded with bad provisions that made Republicans vote against it because the Democrats voted for paper ballots, often seen to be the remedy, and Republicans were against it. I'm gonna guess the bill had a lot of junk in it, but I wanna end the first five by reading a quote from a Republican member of Congress, Rodney Davis, Republican from Illinois, and explaining why he voted against the Democrats' bill requiring paper ballots. He is, by the way, this guy is the ranking Republican of the House Administration Committee. And he said, I wanna highlight the fact that there's no evidence of voting machines being hacked in 2016, 2018, or ever. So why are we forcing states to get rid of what they deem to be safe technology? We should work together and safeguard the technology, not abandon it. This was his explanation for voting against paper ballots in the bill pending then in Congress. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Return to the interview I mentioned at the start of the show today. We have in studio Russ Ramsland. Uh, he is a vote fraud expert and has been, there, there's a longer show I mentioned several times in the show and I want to urge our listeners again to go to this. There is another show that I recommend and appreciate very much. The host is Kevin Freeman and he's been on this show a couple of times. Kevin Freeman is the host of Economic War Room. A recent episode of Economic War Room, episode 70, was an entire interview with the same gentleman who's here in the studio today, Russ Ramson. And in that interview, they had accessible to them someone off camera using a disguised voice who is a, and they use the term, a white hat hacker. Someone who was trying to hack in and understand what's available for savvy people who are cyber savvy people to get inside the voting machines. How much damage could someone do to data inside a voting machine if they were a good guy, not wanting to change information or delete information, just find out what's accessible. He gave a lengthy uh, report with pictures of the computer screens. I urge you to watch that entire episode. If you go to Economic War Room, episode 70, it is not behind their paywall. Anyone can watch it, it's linked on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Go to the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links, and there you'll find a link to that entire long interview. I wanted to talk with Russ Ramsland today. I was so excited when I saw that show, when heaven join us and talk about what he and Kevin Freeman were talking about on that show. So. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. You've lured me back with these chocolate chip cookies. I can hardly stand yeah. it. 
Yes, some really bad person put chocolate chip cookies on the table here, but so far we have resisted temptation. So oh, far. So far, <laughs> yes. So I wanna just start with this. So we all think, you know, we have electronic voting machines and we walk into the voting booth and we fill it out, however it is we do that, and some way or other, that information is transmitted into electronic voting machine. And some place in cyberspace, someone is counting those votes. And so I wanna get at the idea, I mean, what you were talking with on episode 70 with Kevin Freeman's Economic War Room with Jekyll, you know, who is the real guru digging in and, and providing information. Correct. He seemed to be, he was saying more or less that the data we think is very confidential and inaccessible and not hackable and not changeable is actually very vulnerable. So I want to start with what happens, cyberly speaking, cyberspace speaking, when you, once you vote, what happens to the data from that voting machine? Where does it go? Where is it stored? Well, of course, it's a very, very big topic. And I think the easiest way to understand it is to imagine our voting system as a huge pyramid. And down at the very bottom of the pyramid may be the precinct where you actually vote if you vote in a precinct. Right above that is your county. That's where all the votes from your precincts are aggregated and tabulated. But then they begin to feed up through the pyramid to various databases through servers until there's only about two or three at the very top. Now, that's election fraud if that's being accessed. What's going wait, wait, say on- say it again, that's election fraud if- If that's being accessed, accessed and okay, changed. Yeah. If those databases are being compromised and accessed and changed. In other words, your vote as it filters up starts out with a vote for Bill and it ends up being a vote for Tom because this database gets accessed. That's election fraud. Voter fraud is just what you said. It's down where you're talking about the voters out in the precinct and the voter rolls and all that. We're not discussing that. What we're talking about is that ability to access at the very top. And what Jekyll was telling us, and while Jekyll is a white hat hacker, the interesting and, and really uh, scary part of it was that Jekyll didn't have to hack to do any of this. There was nothing Jekyll did that you would call hacking in order to find out that absolutely you can access those databases, you can change them, you can alter votes and you can re, and of course what happens is those databases at the top are online all the way down to various levels of databases and they all keep synchronizing. So if you change this one, it will then move the votes back down so that at the end of the day, all of them look very much the same, but they don't look like the actual votes. Okay, I wanna make sure with our listeners because that's a very important point you're making to start with. People hear the word hack and they think of things like someone hacked into uh, a bank server and got account information, <clears throat> illegally accessing it, number one, and then for some nefarious purpose, obviously for stealing right. it. So that maybe the word hack isn't right, but access through legally available means, this gentleman, Jekyll, we'll call him Jekyll, legally available means and really available to anyone who is cyber savvy. Correct. He was, he's not you know the top guru of the world. He's just a, a well, he's a well-educated, well-trained, guy who understands how to get in behind and, and, and get, okay, so he's a Correct. white hat hacker, but I wanna make really clear, because I think what, even what you just said so far is unknown to most of America, and frankly, would just shock most of America. You're saying that the composition of votes that occurred, in, say in our country, in any election, 
are residing up here at the top of the pyramid and currently this guy Jekyll was able to not only get in to that database of votes so it's hackable in the terms of accessible and he could change those votes and I believe he also said leaving no electronic trail is that right that that is what he claims that's a diff, more difficult task to leave no electronic trail ever but um, <clears throat> the fact is yes he, he, he could get in and he could change those databases <coughs> and change the outcome of an election so that what happened did not in effect reflect the vote of the people that's the problem we're facing today and it's it's really interesting because all these people that really are pushing for electronic voting they're pushing electronic voting for some reason other than security because there is no <clears throat> totally secure electronic system today there have been bugs throughout history there's it's replete with them some of them aren't found for 10 or 12 years but in this particular case it's really disturbing because he looked at a number of the databases all the way up he found they were set up incorrectly so he could use an s3 bucket vulnerability to get into any of them uh, they would then sync up and send things up and down and um it it was very disturbing yeah, very disturbing is uh, putting it mildly because really, and, and I have so many questions, um, including getting around eventually to the idea of how we fix this, but that's, that's toward the end. I want to focus on what you're talking about right now. So he showed that you could do it. Yes. And, and so, and, and, but I mean, the idea that what we look at as election results, if election results were very skewed, very different from what we expected them to be. If all along, let's say all along that, you know, President Trump was 20 points up and somehow on election day he lost by 20 points, everyone would expect, would assume there was some terrible fraud, something was wrong. So people manipulating votes, assume, and we're gonna talk a minute about, you can show it, they have used this process. Nefarious people or nefarious purposes have accessed this data and changed votes. They ha that we, you've shown that through the thing we'll talk about in a moment, but back this idea, one element that has to be part of uh, permitting or getting away with changing votes at this high level database has to be that the public's perception was somewhere in the ballpark of how the election came out. And, and Jekyll talked about this, this prediction of a blue wave, that it was, it, mm -hmm. it ended up being something <laughs> the American people thought, well, gee, you know, they said a blue wave is coming, so maybe people weren't as surprised by the outcome. Can you talk about that, the manipulation of the expectations of the people? Well, yeah, we've seen that in several cases, as you talk about in Texas, the blue wave that was going to come. But, uh, you know, in Virginia, one of the things that went on for a while is they talked a lot about the fact that Virginia was turning purple and then blue because you could see all these people who used to vote in the Republican primaries, they would might call them, and now they're all voting in the Democrat primaries. I'll tell you a very interesting story. Please do. I love this story. <laughs> An ex-attorney general's wife went in to her caucus in Virginia, because in Virginia, they're not like Texas. They don't have a state convention. They have caucuses. Yeah. And she goes into her caucus, and she wants to get credentialed and go in. And they look up her stuff, and they go, oh, well, we're sorry. We can't let you in because you voted in all these Democrat primaries. And she goes, I've never voted in a Democrat primary. And they get in a big argument about it. And finally, her husband says, well, look, 
how about we give you an affidavit that she has when I don't know where you got your stuff and your printout, but it's wrong. Yeah. And so the credentials people said, okay, we'll, we'll accept that. So they did, and she got into the deal. Well, about a week later, the AG ran into the guy who was the head of credentialing, and he said, you know, it was amazing. We had over 200 people that had to give us affidavits because our printout said they'd been voting in Democrat primaries. Well, that's the fulfillment of that story about how more people are moving to become Democrats, in this case, as opposed to Republicans. So he went and looked at his own voting record, and he found that the same, his own voting record was very incorrect. This is an ex-attorney general of the state of Virginia. Not of Virginia. It's an ex-attorney general of a state. Of a state. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we, we see things like that, and um, it's... It's sort of what got us intrigued. Uh, we got looking at the, the Dallas uh, vote uh, in 2018, and we looked at a lot of the uh, central tabulation servers, the ones that are near the bottom of that triangle. <clears throat> and we, we looked at the, the uh, voter logs, which tells you everything that goes on on that computer. It tells you the whole story, everything that went in and out, et cetera. And what we began to see were just incredible anomalies. We began to see uh, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of cases of what are called timestamp mismatch. We saw um, databases being entirely erased and then reloaded from somewhere else other than the original voting. Databases of how votes were cast? Yes. Of cast votes? Yes. So someone had, you could see the electronic trail, someone had removed the database related to how people voted and put it back in, obviously no idea if it's been changed, but some, right. assuming it had been changed. Right. Okay, I wanna go back to your Virginia story for a moment. So this is not just one person who maybe, you know, some people may I wanna hide their voting history. No, I never vote Democrat, I swear. But, but when you have 200 people who are interested enough to want to be part of, it's like in, in Texas, you wanna be part of the state convention. You wanna be a delegate Correct. to the state convention. They're that into it, and yet their voting record, as produced by the pyramid in the sky that's coming down and telling, giving someone a printout of their votes, said they had voted Democrat. So, so they had voted in primaries that they have never voted in. Yeah. So that is you know, an unanswerable question unless someone with actual authority could, you know, a federal investigator or a state investigator had the authority to dig in and, and see what happened and create evidence that you could use. Uh, to go after whoever was doing this. Sure. The, the, the real, uh, the end game of the discussion needs to be that there are so many unexplainable, very, or at least at this point unexplainable, troubling questions that real authority needs to look into it and take it very seriously. And that simply isn't really happening for a number of reasons. Absolutely true. Okay, so we have a... Um I'm trying to say there's so many things. Can you stay for three hours? <laughs> well, yeah. as, long as, as long as the cookies Matt. hold out, I'm yeah. here. <laughs> you know what? This is such a big story and so important to understand because I still think most Americans would never have guessed that any data inside, once collected via the voting machines, could have been accessible to anyone except you know, Secretary of State's office, whoever was supposed to be, checking those out, keeping track of them, and eventually reporting them to the public. There, there's, there are so many directions to go. I want to turn to something, though, because I, I think that it was, it was helpful. 
in getting more and more credibility to this story. I love that story about Virginia. It has to be investigated. But there was also a story, and Matt, this is actually clip four. Um, Matt the Wonderful, I sent him things last minute, and he's always ready. It's amazing. So clip four, this is actually from the show I mentioned y'all should watch, Kevin Freeman's Economic War Room, when Russ Rand was interviewed. But this is a clip from that show in which they are talking. This is just a screenshot from that show talking about the fact that actual researchers, even from MIT, and this relates to Europe, we're going to tie it into America, but from, uh, from MIT we're acknowledging they could see evidence that voter that the data inside voting machines in Switzerland was not secure. So if you can put up that screen. So I'll just tell you folks, the top screen, researchers find critical backdoor in Swiss online voting system. An international group of researchers been examining the source code for an internet voting system Switzerland plans to roll out this year have found a critical flaw in the code that would allow someone to alter votes without detection. And then the next piece, which is from MIT, says a cryptographic trap door could let someone change votes cast using Switzerland's online vote system without being detected, according to a newspaper. The software vendor, how do you say S C T Y L? Seidel. 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 We're gonna you gotta remember that name. Seidel uh, provides electronic voting services to over 35 countries, including in the U.S. So correct. These are smart, you know, guru types at MIT confirming that at least in Switzerland, the system they have, including Seidel, has vulnerability. You can hack it and use it. So you told a story on Kevin Freeman's show, and I want to have you talk about how Seidel was connected to the recent election in Kentucky, where the outcome was astonishing. I mean, the governor lost by whatever it was, 3,000 votes or something. 5,000. 5,000. And the other Republicans pretty much across the top, you know, across the state, one by large margins, some as much as 300,000. So Correct. Seidel was somehow involved in the tabulation. We're gonna play that clip in a moment with CNN, but I wanted you to describe the story if you could. Okay, well, first off, let's go back to the pyramid. Yes. The people at the top of the pyramid appear to be companies like SGO, Smartmatic, and Seidel. Seidel actually maintains a series of databases that all sorts of voting companies down here at the bottom of the pyramid report up to. In the case of if ES&S is, is running your election, it'll report up to a database called Clarity. Clarity is owned by Seidel. If Dominion is your vote counting company, it will upload to a database called Democracy Suite. That's controlled by Seidel. If your Heart InterCivic is your voting company, it reports up to that same Clarity database that ES&S does. But it's all Seidel, and it's all up there at the top of the, the pyramid. Um, I, I was amused, uh, Snopes, which I find to be often dubious, um, yes. had a big deal about how um, Seidel and SGO Smartmatic really weren't involved in the actual vote counting. Well, they don't need to be. Uh, in some cases they are, by the way, but they don't really need to be. It can be all these other voting companies. As long as it goes up to one or two or three databases that Seidel or SGO Smartmatic uh, control, they actually control it because they're the ones that hold the vote. And if you change it at that level, it'll trickle right back down and change it near the bottom as well. So um, in, in the case of Seidel uh, and Kentucky, um, ES&S and Hard Inner Civic control the votes. And uh, they, they count almost every single county in Kentucky. 
those all go up to the Clarity database, and the Clarity database is a CIDL database. And it's easy to see this, because if you go to the Kentucky Secretary of State website and you say, hey, I want to see the unofficial results, uh, it'll redirect you to a page that looks just like the one you were looking at. It'll say Kentucky Secretary of State stuff. But up at the top, you'll see it's redirected you to Clarity Elections. And if you look down at the bottom of the Clarity Elections page, CIDL, copyright 2019. So you can see right there that Clarity and CIDL is where all the votes are residing. They're not residing in some safe, secure little server that's controlled by the county or even the Secretary of State or anyone else there. It's controlled by CIDL. Now, CIDL is a Spanish company. It's not even a U.S. company. And I'm just going to throw in our favorite character we talk about so frequently. CIDL is in Barcelona? That's Barcelona, right? Spain is its headquarters, correct? It yes. Was, Go ahead. Well, it was founded by a guy, Dr. Andres, I think it's Rivera or Rivera, uh, in about 2001. And then he had a mysterious one-car accident in 2006. The guy's killed. And uh, it's taken over by others. But it's still over in Barcelona, Spain. And um, it's, it's a major, 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 major force in voting, as is SGO Smartmatic. Uh, SGO Smartmatic actually started out in uh, Venezuela, of all places. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's you go out to Wikipedia and, and just uh, run a check on SGO Smartmatic. You'll find, I don't know, 17, 25, 35, I forget how many instances of um, uh, hacking problems in their databases by outsiders uh, going back all the way to 2001. Um, it's just, it's amazing how many elections have been blown uh, and, and provably, and, and some of the SGO Smartmatic people have been arrested and put in jail uh, because they've allowed this to happen. Well, SGO Smartmatic in 2014 was purchased by uh, a company headquartered in London called SGO. Before that, it was just Smartmatic. And the, the SGO um, software, et cetera, that whole platform appears to be the platform that all of these voting companies down at the bottom of the pyramid use uh, and, in fact, build all their software on. Um, so that it's all at the end of the day, it's sort of all the software is sort of based on the same thing, which started up here at SGO Smartmatic and CIDL. Okay, so CIDL's in the middle. Uh, that was a great explanation, and everyone should be taking notes. CIDL was in the middle of the Kentucky election. Yes. Okay, I want to play, Matt, this is clip um, two. This is the most amazing thing. This is a clip from the show that, of Kevin Freeman's show, Economic War Room, where Russ Ramson also was a guest. I want to have you just watch this clip in real time. Something happened on CNN. Now that you know the background and a title that MIT even says has vulnerable software subject potentially to hacking and manipulation. And now watch what CNN has to say on, on election night when Governor Bevin did not win. But right this now, is, this number matches that, this number matches that. Right. This is the live feed coming in okay. from the computers. Okay, it's running. There, it just changed. There, it just changed. All right, let me see if I can pull Scroll it back, back to, that. to that point. I got wow, it. I just saw it. Yep. Now. 662 there, they 661. updated it. 
they update it right there from 662 to he lost 560 votes exactly 560 now yes. look at Bashir 673 before. Wait, that's also six. That's exactly the same difference. It's exactly the same difference. They took votes from here and put it there. Well, it certainly suggests that, doesn't it? Okay. I love that. I want to make clear you just what you saw. When you watch an election night, and everyone does, you watch an election night and you're all excited and watching the numbers and you know, 1% of precinct reporting, 3% in, you're waiting, waiting, waiting. Well, these are numbers in Kentucky. And what you just saw is a clip from CNN who's not, I mean, they're getting this data, ultimately, from the pyramid, they're getting the data from the top, Correct. coming into their system and reporting it out. And somehow in the middle of reporting, it isn't like they said, hey, wait, we're gonna go back in two hours, you know, refresh our numbers. In the middle of reporting, they had 560 votes re reduced from, taken away from the Republican, Bevin, and given to the Democrat, who was ultimately the victor, Bashir, on, on screen, on live camera. I mean, I, I'm sure that someone who loves Seidel or Bashir or whoever they could come up with an explanation for that. Well, it was just a computer glitch. It was just, uh, I mean, but it, it's pretty inexplicable, isn't it? It's pretty difficult to come up with a convincing explanation other than the fact that someone played in the database and you saw it in real time. It's simply mind-blowing. Th that alone, I wish people would watch and think through, again, how else exactly could that have happened? So 560 votes, not being a math major, I actually did the math on my little sheet here, so I, it is 560 votes somehow instantly shifted over to Bevan or were given or taken away from Bevan and given to Bashir. Very, very interesting. Which well, turns out to be a swing of about 1,020 votes. I mean, 1,120 votes. So that... When you lose by 5,000 votes, we just saw 20% of the votes that he lost by get switched in an instant. It would be very interesting to watch CNN all night long and see if that happened more than just once. This was one that just happened to get caught by a guy on camera. Yeah, I can't watch CNN. I can't, I can't even watch them. I just, I get too upset. Anyway, but, but back to this vote fraud thing. So or election fraud, we're gonna to be to distinguished. Vote fraud is who ends up on the rolls. Election fraud is who gets to show up and vote. And, and I mean, is once you're there, you know, what happens to the vote? So I do think that there are a lot of questions that a cynic would have hearing everything you said. And I'm gonna to to run through some of them. And, and, you know, I mean, one would be just, isn't this such a giant flaw? Actually, one more, before I get to my cynics questions, one more point. Many of the points that Jekyll made on the video we've been talking about referred to not just that he could hack in because he's clever. It referred to that many, many, what would under, just as you would assume protocol would say, you must protect passwords, you must protect this data, you must. He found time after time in simple text documents, Word documents, passwords and it, it gave him the ability to continue to hack in to the point that you all were talking about could this even have possibly been by mistake that you were on the subject of a 10x that particular company and it isn't that they're the only ones but you're on the subject of a 10x and as he was looking at those so much information was not not encrypted not hidden not protected easily available to him and once he got into one piece it gave him a text document a password to the next set of information all the way down. So I want to hit, first of all, can you comment on whether it could, is it possible that all of this vulnerability is simply accidental? I think it would be very, very hard to believe that. And the reason is that 
people who have designed these systems, uh, one guy in particular, John Winchester, I mean, he's highly uh, credentialed, et cetera. He's highly trained, at least if you believe all the initials behind his name he is. And yet, um, these systems are wide open. We took, a, uh, we took one particular database uh, and we were able to download everything out of it and so we took it up to a, a guy at Oracle and because uh, it was an Oracle database and we had him look at it and he goes well all the security features have been turned off the default position is on but these have all been turned off that that has to be purposeful someone has to switch it from the default position to the non-default position and it wasn't just one little piece that was switched to the non-default one little piece that was accessible it was over and over again correct and, and it, with all these, a, a lot of these databases like Clarity and Democracy Suite and Precinct Central in the case of 10X, uh, these reside, a lot of them, on an AWS cloud. There's about four or five different servers there that they reside on, and they're set up incorrectly. And, and that almost, too, would have to be purposeful uh, because they all have an, what's called an S3 bucket vulnerability, and that's a way for bad guys to go in. Let me back up just a second. Um, you use the word hack again, and just keep in mind, Jekyll wasn't having to hack anything. That's what was so terrible. He wasn't breaking any law. No. Right. What he could do is he could go there and just using filters, he could go places through the websites and other places and find all these files, one of which would be an, uh, a file of critical information and right before it would be an open file, an open Word doc that says, oh, by the way, the password the for this is XYZ. And it would be an administrator level password. And he just found it time after time and all across the board with so many of the voting companies. It was it was amazing. It's alarming. And yeah, it caused you to conclude it probably couldn't be accidental. I mean, it would be pretty hard to make that that the people who are swearing up and down how safe this is can be that bad. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, I'll just do a quick show on the screen for 10X. They had a, um, I went to their website, is, uh, and um, they had just a quick shot of what they're claiming, they're, they're, who they are. So this is 10X's home screen, clip three. The very wonderful Matt is clip three there. This is 10X saying modern technology for election management. And then clip five is all the systems they offer. So they offer um, solutions for, all, for a whole variety of things. It may be too hard to read in the screen, but the point is, this is a complete service company telling counties and other people, Correct. buy our services. We, and they stress, as you scroll through, they stress security, we're reliable, we're experts, we're, it's, it's safe. And, we're, and, and I mean, it, they, they're not, it's not like they try to pretend they, they aren't capable of, of uh, security. They are bragging about just the opposite on their website and not to just pick on 10X. Every company you mentioned, seems to have the same vulnerability. Correct. One other uh, piece before I get to the, uh, the uh, cynical questions, which is at one point, Jekyll mentioned how much information about voters he was able to access in as he was going through this, and I think it was 10X, but even if it wasn't, whatever company it was, about voters down to things like, well, you can tell, if you would, just what kind of personal data was he able to get to about voters? Well, it was it was wide open that, that he could see the voter's name, their address, their driver's license, their social security number, all their personally identifiable information. It's out there in the database, and the database was open. I mean, he thought it, he could have literally opened it for probably virtually every voter in the United States. 
And again, social security numbers, credit card numbers. Driver's license, where you live, what your name is, and how you voted. And how you or voted. Or at least looks like I was going to say, well, that attorney general or ex-attorney general is thinking, that's not really how I voted. But to think all of that is available and to anyone. And you, there was one line he said that was almost chilling. He said it was kind of like whoever wins the election, is like, who was the last hacker in? That's that's exactly right. That is exactly right. And that's terrifying because what you see happening at that triangle is you see outside players downloading things and then re-uploading things. And you yeah. see it going on, for instance, in the Dallas election, where 67% of the vote was over by the end of early voting on yeah. a Friday. Over the four days between the close of early voting and election day, which was the following Tuesday, you see the database four different times get erased and then data re-downloaded from somewhere else. And you're going, wow, how, what is this about? So you have reported this, you and uh, Jekyll and whoever else is aware of all this, you've tried to report it to some people in authority, how's that going? Well, it's not going very well. Um, frankly, a lot of the, uh, the leaders in our state, from the governor and the lieutenant governor on down, are running from this. They, uh, they, I mean, we've invited them several times to take a briefing. We have, in fact, almost begged them to. Yep. And uh, they just don't seem very interested in even taking a briefing. Um, we have had a couple of meetings with the uh, AG's office. Um, the Texas. Texas yeah. AG. And um, frankly, uh, they do not seem to be pursuing it. Uh, they, they seem to be a little appalled. Um, they had a couple of experts, although the real problem we had there, I think, is they're relying on some of their own experts to validate what we say. Their own experts are really hardware people. They're not network architecture people. And this is a network problem. This isn't just a hardware problem. Yep. And the other problem is that one of their guys uh, was the very guy that certified a lot of these people as being safe. So right off the bat, he is he is not a... Uh, He's conflicted. He is very conflicted <laughs> right off the bat. He's got to protect his reputation. And so uh, we have seen that go nowhere. Uh, and, um, and it's been very hard to get those meetings at all. In fact, as I said, Dan Patrick wouldn't take it. Um, and, and so... <clears throat> It's, uh, it's been very discouraging. And I, I, I kind of liken it to, you remember Hans Christian Andersen's story about the king's new clothes or the emperor's new clothes? Well, I, I liken it to that, that um, these guys, everybody keeps telling each other that the king's clothes are so fabulous and only a fool can't see them. And so pretty soon the king's running around naked and it takes some 12-year-old kid in, in the parade route to finally go, he's got no clothes on. Yeah. And everybody, well, this is how these people, I think, are eventually going to look because this story is eventually going to come out. I, this is why you're here today. I want this, show to, this story to come out. I want this show to help. I want to have everyone listening. You guys are great at sharing this show. Share this far and wide. Tell your friends. I know some of my listeners in Florida have been emailing me about wanting to notify their elected officials. Do it. Share the show. Tell people. Because whatever reasons elected officials have in Texas, in Washington, wherever else they're aware of it and not taking action, 
I think the one thing that'll cause them to take action is public pressure, is pressure from their constituents, and because there is no good answer for not looking into it. Um, I want to hit one more question. We, I'm, I'm going to skip my cynics questions. I, you know, I always think, what is the person watching? Because I have liberal listeners who write emails afterwards and comments that are, you know, it's fun. But anyway, sure. I'm going to skip the cynic question. Just asking a very serious question. So. What if, what is it you could do in America between, we're less than a year away now from the 2020 presidential elections and all of Congress is up, as you know, about a third of the Senate, many elections across the country and governor's races. And, and again, this point we made earlier, and it was a really vital one to remember, if you were really orchestrating this, you would not hack in to the pyramid top and change every single vote. You would not do that because then you know people would question, say, well, that's crazy. It wasn't how it was intended at all. But if you just did a few races and you had kind of greased the skids for the public think, well, it's pretty close, you know, Bevan's not too popular, maybe he's gonna go down. You could change just enough, just a, a small number of votes, a significant number of votes. In fact, I have them. This is, uh, for example, back in um, 2012, when, oh, and I'm not saying this was a hacked election, though, who knows? when um, Obama beat Romney, it came down to 334,000 votes. Sorry, away from the microphone. 334,000 votes. Florida, Virginia, Ohio, and New Hampshire. Those four states is why Obama was able to defeat Romney in a time when Romney was way ahead in the polls, uh, at least in his internal polling showing. So um, it doesn't take many votes to change. And so what is it, my question I'm finally getting to is, what is it America should do? Elections are less than a year away. Well, first off, they need to recognize that despite all this reassurance stuff, there is no totally secure electronic voting system. There just isn't. There's no, there's no system that cannot be hacked into and changed. And when it's set up this poorly and this sloppily, it's really easy. Um, so you, you've got to start there. And that gets you then to the point of saying, well, then what we really need is paper ballots. Now, I want to talk about paper ballots because what's happening in paper ballots is kind of terrifying, too. For instance, the state of Texas had a, a, uh, a bill that would have required paper ballots. And um, unfortunately, the uh, I am told it was the governor, but I don't know that, put a lot of pressure on the Senate to uh, get that part taken out. So we don't uh, necessarily have a hard and fast requirement, even though Previous to that, we have had, but the Secretary of State of Texas has issued so many waivers that no paper ballots have become the oh. de facto standard. But the point is, assuming you have a paper ballot, is it an original paper ballot that's being voted, or is it a machine-generated paper ballot? Yeah. What you're seeing, and we saw it in Dallas in this last 10X election, is you go to a machine and you tap in on the glass how you want it to vote. And then it prints out your ballot and it shows you all the races and all your vote picks. And you can look to it and you can say, yes, that's exactly how I voted. But notice up in the corner is a barcode, what's called a QR code. It's a barcode. You take that ballot over and you put it on the scanner to read your ballot. It doesn't read your votes that you can read. It's reading the barcode. And you can't tell if the barcode is what you voted or not. It would be very similar, Deb, that if I could 
mark my ballot by hand and then I had to take it to you and you go behind a screen and you then fill out a ballot and put it in an envelope, seal it, bring it back to me and hand me the envelope and say, go put it over there. That's your vote. Yeah, I'll say it. How do I know that's my vote? Because I can't see if you truly, honestly transferred it. And that's the problem. We can't even rely on machine-generated paper ballots if they use a barcode. So if we have machine-generated ballots, but the, the software in the system that reads it read the dots you filled in, not the barcode, that yeah. would be that workable. that would be uh, that would be a huge help. And the reason it would is you could still change the votes as it goes up the pyramid. But then if you called for an audit you would actually have an auditable paper trail. And you could say, hey, how come this worked out this way? We have so many precincts and so many counties uh, in this country where the number of votes well exceed the number of voters. I know. And that's simply because votes are being added and changed and moved as you get up in the top of the pyramid and then it trickles back down again. Okay, so paper ballots are a big answer. Paper Attention. ballots are a big answer. Oh, and by the way, I want to go back. You said you have a lot of liberals that listen to your show and want to call in and argue about it. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is an issue whether you are a liberal or a conservative. Right. It doesn't matter. You look at Bernie Sanders and Hillary in California, and it's really hard to argue that there weren't votes that were uh, changed from Bernie Sanders to Hillary. It's really hard to make that case numerically. We've already heard from a, uh, a, an incumbent um, uh, Democrat congressman who was in a primary, and he was about 20 points up in the polls, and uh, he was the incumbent. Uh, there, I think there were four guys in the primary, and suddenly the leftist of all of them wins. Now, he happened to be the most conservative guy in the race. He, a Democrat who's been talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so the point is, this is, an, this is an issue for Democrats and Republicans. It's one thing to win or lose an election, honestly. It's quite another to have an election changed by people that you can't see, you can't know, you have no effect on whatsoever. It's the Joseph Stalin, it doesn't matter who votes, it's who gets to count the votes principle. Russ Ramsons was so good. Thank you so much for coming in. It was a great, great thing. I want to draw attention to our listeners. On the American Thinker website, there's an article called Election Fraud on a National Scale. You recognize the last name. It's my husband's article, Eric Georgiatis, and this was from actually November 22nd, called Election Fraud on a National Scale. This lays out far more detail than we could possibly cover in this time we had today with Russ Ramsons. I urge you to read that. And because we're near the end of the time, I'm going to save my Michelle Obama story for tomorrow. I can't get to her today. My short thing is don't worry about her. People keep thinking if she jumps in, the, the Republicans are done. Not so fast. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. And because we're almost out of time, I want to turn right now, as I do at the end of every show, to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. To start with our first story, we had uh, vote fraud changes everything, to say the least. The integrity of elections should be a universal bipartisan value and priority. Oh, yeah, there was a Jason Riley PragerU. you got to see this. Jason Riley and PragerU, basically minority voting is up substantially nationwide. Tons of new data showing 
that this whole notion of voter suppression of minorities that the left always argues, not true. Great link on our website, americancanwetalk.org. Great data showing that actually great increase, the number of percentage of people voting, mostly accountable by minority increased voting is a great thing. Yet, removing non-citizens and voter rolls in North Carolina vetoed by the governor, ballot harvesting in Democrat-controlled California spreading everywhere, voter ID laws approved by voters, struck down by a judge in North Carolina, and requiring citizenship to register to vote is struck down by a court in Kansas. Leftists relentlessly oppose reasonable election integrity laws. You got to tell you, ask yourself why, although this is a bipartisan issue. Uh, election fraud on a national scale. Private investigators in Texas have discovered security flaws intentionally created in voting machine software used in at least 16 states. These flaws enabled hostile actor penetration and manipulation of vote tabulation, evidence suggesting vote alterations did occur in the 2018 elections and the 2019 Kentucky governor's election. These discoveries are factual, not theoretical. They require full-scale investigation by state and federal authorities. America Can We Talk listeners demand that your elected officials start talking and taking care of the problem. We're leaving Michelle Obama until tomorrow. So I want to thank you for joining me on America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Tune every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to this channel. I love your comments. I try to respond. If you're on Facebook, please like this page, share this page, share the message of the show, which is preserving this extraordinary country. If you're listening on Twitter, please follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. Share this show. And most of all, as I say every single day, speak up for America because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. America, can we talk? Truth about America.